Just over a year ago, we launched the Decoding Digital Podcast. It felt like a big achievement at the time, but I'm even more proud of what we've accomplished since then. Over the last year, we've released 33 episodes that have featured 33 amazing guests. Each of these individuals have shared valuable ideas about how to succeed in the digital world. To mark our season finale of Decoding Digital, we wanted to take the time to highlight some of the best insights from the podcast so far. And to help do that, I've invited Renee Bergeron, our GM of AppSmart, to join me on today's episode. Renee has been a thought leader in the technology industry for more than 25 years, and we're lucky enough to have her as the GM of our AppSmart business. Renee, thank you so much for joining and being here. Wow, thank you for that introduction, Dan, and congratulations on an amazing first season of Decoding Digital. I'm super excited to be here and to take a deep dive into some of the big ideas from the past year. And I think it's kind of fun that I get a chance to turn the table a little bit on you and to get more insights from you. But before we jump in, I'm really curious. I want to talk about something that came up again and again in your conversation on the podcast. And that's the idea of the digital hero. By the way, I love how you've coined the terminology of the digital hero. What is a digital hero? And why are they such an important part of decoding digital? So we've really defined a digital hero as an innovator that takes the leap to make transformational change. And the key behind any digital transformation is actually an individual that has a certain set of characteristics, including vision, tenacity, curiosity, and passion that really drives a digital transformation within the organization. And a lot of the impetus for Decoding Digital was to hear from these digital heroes and not only hear about their transformation challenges and lessons learned, but also really hear about their personal journey. Because what we found is that most digital heroes have to transform themselves personally and really learn and develop in order to transform their business and ultimately drive success. The other thing that I'm particularly inspired by is that digital heroes don't need to be CEOs, founders, or entrepreneurs. Digital heroes can exist anywhere within the organization. And digital heroes come from really diverse backgrounds and experiences. Some of them can be first-time people in business that came up with a vision and have that tenacity. Others could be people who have been in industry for many years. They could be at any level of an organization. What's so powerful about this concept is it doesn't rely or rest just on experience or just on a title. It really rests on the characteristics of the individual. And we actually think that those characteristics can be trained. So a lot of the research that we do at AppDirect in partnership with other academics and experts is really trying to uncover these characteristics, quantitatively and qualitatively evaluate them, but then also figure out how these characteristics can be trained in upcoming digital heroes. So leaders across industries can really breed the next generation of digital heroes that can drive successful digital transformations across any industry. That's fascinating, actually. And one thing that's been really interesting to me is how so many of your guests have talked about long-term vision. 
And in a society of immediate gratification, a key part of that long-term vision is really enduring for the long-term. Eric Ries, who wrote The Lean Startup, had a lot of thoughts on this topic. I think that many of the problems that afflict our society today have as their root cause a, an infection of short-term thinking that has seeped into the incentive structure of all of our major institutions. When we make long-term investments, right, when we plant our fields long before we try to sow them, when we're good stewards of the resources that we've been given, we actually outperform from a financial point of view. Now, Dan, this is interesting because it is so relevant to you as co-founder and co-CEO of a now very successful startup. What have you learned about business insurance? So when it comes to starting a business, there's going to be a lot of challenge that you face. Some expected, some unexpected. And what's core to really succeeding at your vision is this concept of endurance and the ability to know that there's going to be things that come at you that are going to challenge your plan and your strategy. But having the agility to persevere is super critical. And when we think about digital heroes, the characteristic of perseverance and tenacity is so important to enable your business to have the muscle for endurance to be able to persevere through the challenges ahead. And when navigating a business, you have certain external factors that can be challenging. Team members come and go. There's a problem with your product. There's an escalation. There's a crisis. A customer defects. You have a challenge with your platform. Maybe there's a security issue. All of these elements are things that can cause you to scramble and can be very challenging for any leader and ultimately can tend to have the potential to demotivate someone or cause burnout. But not only are there these internal factors that can somewhat be in your control, but there's also external factors, macro things like COVID or competition or a financial crisis. And today in business more than ever, there are all these factors, internal and external, that are causing a ton of stress, pain, and urgency on not just the founders or CEOs, but on anyone within the organization. So what's super important in order to really enable your company to persevere in the long run is to develop this muscle for endurance. And one of the ways that we believe you can do that is directly based on the feedback that we heard from Eric Reese, which is this concept of really aligning a long-term vision that everyone can rally around and defining that and reinforcing that and making sure that every decision you make as a business, your team members have the context of how that connects to your ability to achieve that long-term vision. And when you do that, ultimately, everyone can align and persevere through challenges because they know it's part of something much bigger, their individual contributions or the short-term challenges or the immediate pain really serves a greater purpose. And that sense of purpose allows individuals, but also your entire business to come together and endure to make sure that you have the best chance at continuing to achieve that long-term vision. You know, it's interesting because you talk about agility, you talk about endurance, and there's kind of a common theme behind that. And it's actually a big theme across the coding digital. And that is the theme of change. And change is rarely easy. And we all know this to be true from our experience. Renee Oberman, 
former CEO of Deutsche Telekom, talked about this at length. It's very hard in established firms to drive a transformation and innovation process and disrupt yourself. But you've got to be ready for it. If you don't, somebody else will, and you're dead. So Dan, everyone talks about digital transformation, and I'd love to understand what you've learned about effectively driving digital transformation. I think when it comes to digital transformation, many people have different definitions, but I like to simplify it into two questions. What products do you want to sell and what channels do you want to sell them through? And if you have a good sense of what that is, that helps you build a digital transformation roadmap that's really reimagined based on an ideal customer journey. And what I've found is that a lot of people, when thinking about a digital transformation, they think about how can we move services to the cloud? Or how can we be digital first? Or how can we be remote first? But if you're replicating old processes and systems, it's really not giving you the full power of a digitally transformed organization. So if you do think from the ground up, though, what do my customers want? And what products and solutions can I service up to them? What you tend to realize is in the world today, it's not just about selling one thing. It's typically about selling a solution or solving a set of problems. And then when you think about your go-to-market, in the past, a business maybe could have had a retail store where they can open up on Main Street and sell skateboards. And that's what they do. They sell skateboards in a store. But today, that wouldn't work. There's a recognition that Customers want to buy what they want, from who they want, when they want. And therefore, there needs to be many channels or options in an omni-channel way. Some might want to buy through online and then have it shipped. Others might want to have a digital experience for subscription products. Some might want to buy through telesales or through a partner. So really reimagining your go-to-market and the way customers interact with you is super critical. And really thinking about what's your core right to play. So in that skateboard retail example, the future digitally transformed skateboard company might be a lifestyle company around people who love boarding or skateboarding. And it might include digital demand gen and inside marketing around cool tips and tricks. And it could have a social media presence with a community. So I really think that when businesses think about digital transformation, start with that customer journey and the brand you want to build and the solutions you can provide. And then that really leads you to defining just two simple answers to these questions, which is what products you want to sell and what channels you want to sell them through in order to really satisfy and delight your customers. These are great tips, Dan, and super helpful because I think there's still a lot of businesses that have fears when it comes to digital transformation. And that may stem from the fact that people have a misconception that technology is overly complex. And it's the companies that make technology simple that usually succeed. I've had the pleasure of meeting Aaron Levy, CEO of Box, a few years ago. And he was also your guest recently on Decoding Digital, where he talked about the importance of not overcomplicating things. The reality is the only way that I know, at least to build really simple software, is to be hyper-focused, say no to more things than you say yes to, and then hold the line when you start to see that you're losing that focus or that simplicity. 
So Dan, this is another area where your experience leading what is now a unicorn platform business is super relevant. How do you encourage teams to prioritize keeping things simple? Oftentimes, I think back to something that Steve Jobs said, which is that simplicity is the ultimate sophistication. And especially in B2B business and digital enterprises today, it's so easy to add scope creep and to talk about all the features and the underlying capabilities and to drive a lot of complexity, not only into your marketing message, but into the way you actually operate. And it's super, super difficult to break things down and make them simple and make them intuitive. And the best way to do that is through a lot of hard work and iteration. The other things that we've really found is if you can break people down into small teams and enable them with a clear ownership and autonomy to make decisions, it speeds up the ability to make decisions and makes your business much more simple. And you also have to obsess over the right things. Oftentimes, it's unclear the direction that you should focus and pull your company in. I know Jeff Bezos with Amazon is focused around being obsessive over the customer. There are other companies who are obsessed over other things. But what I do think is guiding your team toward clarity and focus is super important. And one thing that I've learned probably the hard way is that you definitely have to think about not only what you're going to do, but what you're not going to do. And more importantly, how you're going to do things. And building in a muscle in your organization of focus and the ability to say no to things is super important. So I think really in order to truly achieve scale, you need something that has a huge total addressable market and scales elegantly and simply, but that's very hard to achieve. And that brings me back to Eric Reese's talk, just really around finding product market fit using lean startup methodology. And when you do find that fit with the right addressable market, you can scale infinitely and ultimately drive huge success. Simplicity is not simple, but it is critical. And here's an interesting thought. As our digital world grows, it's not simplifying. It's actually becoming more complex. And in such an environment, it's fair to say that collaboration is more important than ever. Dr. Don Shepard, director of the MI4 Initiative at McGill University, talked about bringing scientists and business leaders together to fight diseases. By leveraging the energy, the frustration, and the pressures that were coming top-down with the willingness and flexibility to go bottom-up, that was the magic. That was the secret sauce. If you hadn't had this simultaneous public pressure to, oh my gosh, we need to fix the fact that we're not testing, with a bunch of people that didn't know what the rules were supposed to be, and that allowed people to meet in the middle and find ways to do things that were not the way they had been doing them before. Now, I have to tell you, I took personal pride in that podcast with McGill University as my alma mater. And I know you did too, Dan, given your role on the McGill Principles International Advisory Board. Building on from Dr. Shepard's insight, what are some ways organization can collaborate better? I think it comes back to people, processes, and products. And if you have those elements right, it really enables people to collaborate seamlessly and effectively. 
And there are many tools that have evolved in order to enable that. At AppDirect, we use objectives and key results, or the OKR model. We also track and calibrate teams on KPIs or key performance indicators. And I think really looking as a senior leadership team and as an organization around how to re-architect and redefine your operating norms on a recurring basis is so important. The other thing that I found is that gauging NPS of your team through team engagement scores with tools like CultureAmp and really asking your customers as well for feedback on your engagement gives you a really good sense of where the collaboration gaps are. And I do think that for a company to have strong engagement with the team and with customers, you always need to get a pulse on where the challenges are in collaboration. And there's always going to be challenges. So having real live data and dashboards to figure out when there is a challenge and then how to unblock that challenge is super important in really enabling a collaborative culture. And it's interesting because you talked about engagement and the reality is engagement is about creating a connection, whether it's internally with employees or externally with customers. And I believe the basis of connection in the digital age is trust, which can be something that's difficult to create online. How does one establish digital trust? Clara Shi, co-founder of Hearsay Systems, had insights on this challenge. Every interaction that we have with someone or with a brand, it generally either increases our estimation of them, it either deepens the relationship or it kind of pulls us away or pushes us away. You can think about each touch point as a deposit in a reservoir of trust and relationship. Dan, what do you see as the most important factors to build trust in the digital economy? It takes a long time to build trust, but only seconds to degrade that trust. And in the digital world, building trust is much more difficult because you don't necessarily always have the human-to-human interaction and experience. I do think envisioning a business, even if it's digital first, that does respect that human-to-human interaction and having faces and names and experiences behind your brand is super powerful. Companies that have done this effectively include Salesforce, where Clara is actually now an executive running one of their business units. And they put their heroes in front by telling the experiences of their champions that have implemented Salesforce using their pictures and names and enabling others to realize that they can be like that person. I think that when it comes to trust in an organization, every experience of interacting with that brand helps to touch on either to add to the trust or take away from that trust. So making sure that you're at the forefront and you have real-time data and dashboards and looking at when there's a potential incident, whether that's the way you react to a security incident, whether that's the way you react to a customer experience or customer service inquiry, or whether that's your ability to be proactive when there's something that goes wrong in the system and using that as a teaching moment to reach out to the customer. One of the interesting things that we've learned is sometimes the incidents that could create the biggest breaches of trust are the opportunities to create the most trust through acting in a transparent way and really treating your customer as you would want to be treated. 
And I think that having processes and systems in place so when things go wrong, your team can act with the level of integrity and transparency that your customers seek is one of those ways of not only ensuring that you can build trust over the long term, but you can regain or maintain that trust when something goes wrong. Yeah, it's often how you handle the problem and difficult situation that you show your true value and you build that trust. And then I've had the privilege of working with you for the past 18 months. And I know that building a values-based culture is one of your passions, which puts you in good company with other leaders like Elen Barnakow. CEO of Microsoft Sweden. The first thing is that you have to look at yourself and your leadership team and say, what do we stand for? And are we prepared to live accordingly? One thing I've observed since joining AppDirect is how the company's values underpin everything. And that's a testament to your leadership, Dan. Why are values so important for companies? And what's your advice for leaders who understand the importance and want to build a strong culture? We spoke about the importance of business endurance and long-term vision. And what I've found from a lot of research on companies that I admire most is that they have a vision that's defined for the long-term that enables their team to focus and really persevere through the challenges. But also the companies that succeed and endure over the long term have defined values that drive their culture to align their teams. And in today's world, as we discussed, there's so many external and internal factors that can be challenging for an organization. And the more as a leader, you can align your organization on those shared values, the more the organization can endure. And part of that alignment is really making those values the internal fabric of the way the company operates. So instead of them just being words on a wall, the values can become the way that you hire, the way that you promote, the reason why you let people go. It can be part of your performance evaluation perspective. It can be a part of your systems, your processes. So really integrating your values into the fabric of who you are and how you endure and how you build trust is going to ultimately differentiate values-based cultures from those who aren't, and really enable you to endure and scale seamlessly in this digital economy. That's so true, Dan. And I've personally seen the importance of values being exhibited on a day-to-day basis. And it really starts with leaders. We often talk about how leaders become great. And Jim McKelvey had a really interesting perspective on this. What I want the world to understand is that all of us, if we're ready to do that little bit of innovation, the two or three times in our life when it matters, the world's going to be a better place. How leaders become great is a tough question. From what you've learned, Dan, how do people become great leaders? People become great leaders by continuous learning, by challenging themselves, by being open to criticism, by really stepping back and reflecting on what they do well and what they can do better. And in today's society, what's so encouraging is that there's a plethora of information and content that can enable you to be a better leader. 
And if you can seek out that content, if you can seek out those resources, if you can find mentors, it can really enable you to be great and endure personally and professionally over the long run. Great insights from a great leader. Dan, congratulations on season one of Decoding Digital. I can't wait to see what the next year brings. To learn more about the findings from the Digital Hero Mindset Report, visit decodingdigital.com slash report. Thanks for listening to Decoding Digital. Make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing to the show in your favorite podcast player. To learn more, visit decodingdigital.com. Until next time.